Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the book review series on the Small Business Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Moran, and today I want to welcome Thomas Malone, the Patrick J. McGovern Professor of Management at MIT Sloan School of Management and the founding director of the Center for Collective Intelligence, also at MIT. Tom is the author of several books, including The Future of Work and his latest book called Superminds, The Surprising Power of People and Computers Thinking Together. Welcome to our show, Thomas Malone. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, likewise, and 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 uh, we are excited to have you on. I, I've had the chance to read your book, Superminds, and it's an incredible work. Uh, very excited to have you on the show to talk about it. The first Thank question, you. the first question Thank I so have much. is sure is what type of book is Superminds? Would you call it a business book? So. I, I didn't really try to write Superminds as a typical business book. It certainly has many business examples, and I think it has uh, lots of things that uh, should be of interest to many business readers. But I tried to write the book for an even broader audience than just uh, the business world. I tried to write it for intelligent readers with no particular background in business or any of the other um, uh, fields upon which the book draws, one that that anyone could understand, and hopefully many people will find interesting. Well, I, I I would agree with that. I think it's you know given how technology is playing a bigger bigger role in our lives, in in how we use it at home, how we use it at work, how we use it in our communities. I think uh, this the timing of your book is perfect. Uh, you know, talking about computers and people coming together and, and thinking and working together. Thank you. Sure. So in the book's introduction, you write that it will probably be several decades or even longer before artificial intelligence machines uh, will be as smart or as broadly adaptable as humans. And I read that and, and I thought it almost seemed like it was contrarian thinking. Because there are so many articles out now that talk about how the concept will become reality maybe within the five or ten years from now. So um, it's good that you thought of, thought of it as contrarian because one reason I thought it was important to say this is because it is a little different from how many people today are thinking about things. Um, uh, if you read and believe all the hype you see in today's media, you really might think that computers will be as smart as people in the next five to 10 years. And one thing I wanted to do was to help uh, the world have a little more realistic view of that. Let me, let me tell you a couple of uh, facts to help ground what I'm saying. Um, when, when people do surveys of experts in AI and ask them, how long do they think it will be before we have human level artificial intelligence? The average answer is typically about 20 years okay. from now. So you said five or 10 years. Uh, even that's more optimistic than the average expert opinion today is 20 years in the future. But here's a surprising thing that a lot of people don't realize. Experts have been making predictions and people have been doing surveys of expert predictions about this question for quite a long time. Uh, asking 
people how long they think it'll be till computers are as smart as people. They've been asking that question for the last 60 years since the field of artificial intelligence mm -hmm. began. And the answers they almost always get are about 20 years in the future. In other words, human-level AI has been 20 years in the future for the last 60 years. <laughs> so is it theoretically possible that this time the prediction could be right? Yes, it's possible. But I think anyone who confidently predicts that we'll have human-level AI in the next couple of decades, I think the burden of proof for that is pretty high. I think it's something we should be skeptical of. Now, I'm not someone who would say that we'll never have human-level artificial mm -hmm. intelligence. I think it's quite likely that we'll have it someday, but I think that's likely to be many decades in the future, quite possibly beyond the lifetimes of all of us alive today. That is so interesting because the way it's projected and maybe it's for the lay people in in you know science and computers um the uh, the popular belief is that that we're all going to be replaced by computers they're going to be doing all of our jobs and uh yeah in the next yeah. 10 or 20 years right yeah no i i agree and and i, I want to be clear to say that i'm not saying it's completely impossible that we'll have this in 10 or 20 years but i think it's quite unlikely um, uh, and i think we we often overestimate the potential of artificial intelligence in part because it's very easy for us to imagine computers right. as smart as people and one reason I think it's so easy for us to imagine that is because our science fiction is full of them. <laughs> Whenever you see a robot or a computer on a, on a TV show or a movie or a science fiction book, very good chance that it's going to, uh, that it already is as smart as people. And by the way, there's also a good chance that it's somehow going to rise up against its human creators. Um, so those things, if you believe science fiction, they're almost necessarily true of computers. But in reality, uh, it turns out to be much easier, much harder to construct a machine like that. Oh, wow, that's so that's imagine. so interesting. You, you know, I, I want to talk about um, superminds, supermind groups in the workforce. But before I do that, I realize that a lot of our listeners are probably wondering what exactly is a supermind. So can you help us define it? Yeah, so I define a supermind as a group of individuals acting together in ways that seem intelligent. Now, that, that definition may sound almost tautological. It's almost true by definition. Um, but I think actually each of the words in the definition I just gave are important. Uh, each is important. Uh, and in the book, I kind of unpack mm -hmm. those words in some amount of detail. But basically what it means is that uh, a supermind is some group, often a group of people, but increasingly it will be people and computers. So it's some group that acts together. That is, if they're just each one individually doing their thing, then it's not a supermind. But if they're acting together in some way, then they can be a supermind. And they need to act together in some way that seems intelligent. 
Now, some people think that word seems sounds kind of wishy-washy in a definition, but I think it's actually very important because, as I describe in more detail in the book, I think intelligence is kind of like beauty. It exists in the eye of the beholder. In other words, to, to think of something as being intelligent you need to have at least, you need to make some assumptions mm-hmm. about what that something's goals are and if you incorrectly guess what its goals are you may think it's stupid when in fact it's achieving just achieving some other goal very intelligently and sometimes this is especially important in the case of groups sometimes you can ask whether the group is achieving some goal that may be important or interesting to you, even if no one in the group is actually trying to achieve that goal. And I think that's still a useful way of saying that the group has a kind of intelligence. Just to give you a a simple example of that, uh, if you think about a free market, which by the way I would say is one kind of supermind, You've got a whole bunch of buyers and sellers interacting with each other, and uh, some of them make agreements to buy and sell things, and often they're competing with others to do that, etc. So uh, the individuals in that market supermind each has the goal of maximizing their own benefit, whether it's to make the most profit or to get the best happiness they can by spending as little money as possible. So each of the individuals has a different, uh, a different goal. But as observers, we can look at the whole market and ask whether that market supermind as a whole is doing a good job of allocating resources like people's time and cars and houses and all kinds of other resources. We can ask whether the market is doing a good job of allocating those resources in the places where they do the most good or where they are most appreciated. And to to first approximation, the answer to that is often yes. The market as a whole accomplishes intelligently some overall goal that none of the individuals in it have. So uh, when I listen to your definition or, or example of the free market, you know, Adam Smith comes to mind and and right the invisible hand that you're talking about, the kind of Exactly. Creates the balance between supply and demand, that it will rise or fall based on the goals of everybody within that market. Exactly. In fact, Adam Smith talked about how markets have an invisible hand. And I and what I say in the book is that markets also are an invisible mind. And what do you what do you mean by that? So I mean, they're a supermind. Yeah. Oh, okay. So a supermind that that you can't see unless you look at them that way. Mm-hmm. We often don't think of them that way, but one of the big points of the book is that there are these superminds all around us all the time. In fact, sometimes I even call them ghosts. They're these invisible entities, powerful entities all around us all the time, that are mostly invisible unless you know how to look. So part of what I do in the book is try to show people how to look mm-hmm. in the way that they can see the ghosts, the superminds all around us. It's it's I love that I kind of example of that because it's it's looking at the same situation from a different angle or a different point of view which will give you new information about achieving your goals. Exactly. Exactly right. Okay. Okay. So 
here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm pretending I'm one of our listeners, and I'm thinking, what does my organization need to do in order to create a, a supermind? I mean, can a small or mid-sized company or even a nonprofit, can they create their own supermines? Well, here's something that may be a surprise to you and uh, and perhaps your or perhaps your listeners. If you're in an organization now, even mm-hmm. if it's a tiny business or a tiny nonprofit organization, mm-hmm. you're already in a supermind. You're already part of a supermind because your organization, the hierarchical organization that you're part of, is another thing I would consider a supermind. It's a group of people acting together in ways that at least sometimes seem intelligent. And they're using so computers. Have, they're, they're working with uh, computers. Yes, often, though I don't consider the use of computers as part of the definition of a supermind. It's just that more and more superminds today do use computer do use computers, but you can be a supermind even without any computers. So if you're if you're in an organization, you already have a supermind, or you're already part Got of it. a supermind. Uh, the question is how to make your supermind smarter. Got it. So a, Some, a computer. Sometimes you can go ahead. I was going to say some, sometimes you can make a supermind smarter just by acting in different ways. Like maybe if you spend more time talking to each other instead of working in your offices with the doors closed, or maybe if um, maybe if you do what the boss says more often, maybe the organization will become smarter. <laughs> Many people might not expect that, but sometimes that's probably true. But one of the most important ways I think that we can now make superminds smarter is by using computers in intelligent ways. But what I heard in there was, you know, taking time to look at the big picture of your business and your market and your industry. Um, You know, you're saying instead of, you know, keeping your doors closed and only focusing on what's what I call the weeds of your business, the things that are three to five feet in front of you Mm -hmm. to, to understand this is where we're going. This is how we're going to get there. Here are some of the obstacles that we could potentially encounter on our way to achieving our goals. Yeah. Um, so I think that's certainly true. Um, one thing that's useful in almost every case in trying to make a supermind more intelligent is to think about that question we were talking about a few minutes ago, which is what are our goals here? Mm-hmm. What are we trying to achieve or how can we evaluate our success? Uh, often just thinking clearly and explicitly about that question can help uh, help you figure out ways to make your supermind smarter. But here's a way to go even further than that. Another thing I talk about in the book is to imagine perfect collective intelligence. So uh, when we when we talk about creating artificial intelligence, we also we often want to try to create machines that are as smart as people. But it's certainly possible to be smarter than people. Uh, and if you're thinking about a group, many groups are already smarter than any of the individuals in them. So what could be a goal for creating a really smart supermind? I think one possible answer to that question is you could think about how close you could come to having a perfectly intelligent supermind. So think of whatever company or organization you're a part of today, pick Mm -hmm. one of them, and think about 
what it would mean for that organization to be perfectly intelligent. Part of what that would mean, I think, is that you would never forget anything. You would have access, whatever knowledge is available to your organization, mm -hmm. so anything that's known by any of the individual people in the organization, anything that's written in any of the magazines or newspapers or reports or anything that the organization has access to, uh, anything that's in books, anything that other people would tell you if you ask them, all that information is available to you if your supermind organization is perfectly intelligent. Right. Never forget it. And, and here's a key point. Every single decision you make, you take into account all that information that's relevant. So every time you talk to a customer or a potential customer, you know everything that person has ever said that's available to you. You know everything that person has ever bought in in a way that is not, that you can have knowledge of. You know everything all the other customers have ever said about the products that you're trying to sell. You have a huge amount of information potentially relevant to decide what to say next to that customer. Now, of course, that extreme of intelligence, of perfect intelligence, is not something we'll achieve in very many cases in the real world. But just imagining it, just imagining it as a possibility, can often help us think about how could we get closer than we are today. So if you're thinking about what to say next to this customer, uh, what kinds of information might you actually be able to have access to to help you make that decision? If you're trying to provide information to a person in a telephone call center, for instance, who's doing customer service for your organization, what kind of information could you have about all previous interactions with this customer? How could you organize it so that the telephone representative could easily access it and help it use it to help well, figure out what to say next? Those are just a few examples of the kind of things you could do if you're trying to become closer to a perfectly so intelligent supermind. So this is, uh, and I see where you're going with it, and I I see the potential of um, that, the, the examples, you know, the examples that you give, but I, I keep thinking, you know, we live in an imperfect world, and we, we run imperfect businesses. I remember Gallup uh, did a study, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts, about the American workforce and how disengaged they are. In fact, the the study showed that almost sixty seven percent of American workers were either disengaged or actively disengaged. So, how does a company create a supermind within their organization if two thirds of their employees would rather be doing something else? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question and an, and an excellent point. Um, I think it. Um it points out that creating more intelligent superminds is not just all about the, the cognitive or informational aspects of what's happening. Mm -hmm. It also has a lot to do with the emotional and motivational parts of what's happening. So uh, if you've got a whole bunch of people in your organization who are completely turned off, then they're not going to be contributing much to the supermind, right. 
they're going to be making the supermind more stupid rather than more intelligent. <laughs> and by the way, superminds can certainly be stupid as well as intelligent, just as people can. And so, uh, so a question is, so, so I think the key point of what you're saying is that in order to create more intelligent superminds, one of the things we need to think hard about is how to motivate people, how to give them incentives and how to appeal to the things that they want and that they're interested in to be engaged in whatever it is the goals of the supermind are. Yes. So uh, I don't think there's any simple answer to that. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of paying them better. Other times it's a matter of giving them more say in what goes on. I think one of the big motivational uh, opportunities that many organizations don't take full advantage of is giving more people a sense of more control over what's going on in their work. If you do that in the wrong way, it may make the supermind more stupid in other ways. But if you do it in the right way, it can just lead people to be a lot more dedicated to helping to do what the supermind they're in is trying to do. I, I agree. I, I totally agree with that. And I think that letting people feel like they're, what they're doing is playing an integral role in the success of the company would change them from being disengaged to engaged. That's not going to happen with every employee, but it certainly will change the mindsets of the people who are who, who do want to be there, but they just don't feel like they're playing a, a, a role in, or as in, you know, I had a, a previous conversation with um, a, another author and she talked about, you know, the S curve in business and how you hit, you know, hyper growth and where you're learning and you're doing and you're, you're being productive at work is when you feel the best, when you can get up in the morning and run to work each day because you're excited about what you're working on. But if you're not excited about it or you don't feel like your boss is paying attention to you or is particularly nice to you, it's going to change your attitude completely. Mm. Absolutely. If you want one little um, uh, checklist to think mm -hmm. about here, um, uh, in a, a previous uh, article I wrote about this. Uh, we talked about the th three different genes for for motivation for what we call the why of of work and business. Uh, uh, this is not a complete list, but it's a pretty good starting checklist. That if you want to try to motivate people, you can think about that about doing that in three basic ways. You can motivate people with money, with love, or with glory. And most of the things you can think about doing would be one of those three. That's very good. Pay them more, give them more appreciation and recognition, uh, create environments where they love the people they're around or the work they're doing or the goal it's achieving. Fantastic. All right. We, I have time for one more question. But before I do that, I want to make sure our listeners know uh, where to get your book. Uh, so Superminds, The Surprising Power of People and Computers Thinking Together. Um, I'm guessing Amazon is probably one of the easiest places for them to find it? Yep. Okay. Fantastic. Um, last question. Um, do you have any examples of companies today that are using supermind groups to effectively solve problems? Well, um, let me first say that every company today 
is a supermind. Mm -hmm. And so every company that is effectively solving problems would be an example of, of an answer to your question. But let me just give you a, a couple of uh, quick things that I think illustrate some, some slightly interesting uh, or, or somewhat interesting versions of how to do this using people and computers. Um, there's a, a, an insurance company called Lemonade that lets people buy their insurance, I'm sorry, lets people file claims for their uh, household and uh, property insurance um, online. In fact, they do it, as I understand it, using text messages. Wow. And uh, they have a computer program which they, they anthropomorphize it. They treat it like a human by calling it AI Jim. And this computer program is able to answer in response to these text messages and completely process some of the claims. So if you, if you have a simple claim, AI Jim can, can do the whole thing and send you your, uh, your payment all automatically. If you have a claim that's more complicated, then AI Jim refers you to one of the human uh, claims agents that works for the company. So that's a way of using a combination of people and computers in a kind of surprising way. You know, and that's what I've been reading a lot about, that AI will will help you deal with a lot of the mundane tasks that frees up your resources to fo focus on the bigger picture in your business. Yep, yep. So uh, I think that's a good lesson there. Uh, another example in the book is, is a company called Stitch Fix. Uh, it's a, a clothing company. And they, they send people boxes of clothes that they think the people will like. Mm -hmm. And you can decide which of the things they sent you want, send back all the others, and you pay only for the ones you actually want to keep. So it's clearly in the company's interest to do a good job of guessing what you would like. And they do that with a combination, again, of people and computers. So uh, they, they have... Uh, computer programs that have access to vast amounts of data about the different kinds of styles and uh, sizes they have and the different things that different people have liked. Uh, for instance, uh, they find that fitting blue jeans, fitting, fitting jeans is often a difficult thing to do, but they can tell from their database which sizes people with certain measurements have decided to keep. So that's a measure of what fits for a given kind of person. And the machines, therefore, can make recommendations based on all that huge amount of data. But they don't rely just on the machines in this case either. They have human stylists who look at the machine recommendations. They also look at whatever they know about the person and bring to bear their, their knowledge about people and what kind of event the person is going to wear this to and so mm -hmm. forth. And they do the final decision about what to put in the Very box. Very smart. So again, a combination of people and computers. Very smart. Uh, Tom, I really appreciate your time today uh, to talk to me and to our listeners about your new book. Uh, today, we've been talking with Thomas Malone, the Patrick J. McGovern Professor of Management at MIT's Sloan School of Management. He is also the founding director of the Center for Collective Intelligence, also at MIT. And his latest book, which I highly recommend, I thought it was fantastic reading and certainly 
adds a lot to the conversations that are taking place, whether you're in government or business or a nonprofit or even in your communities. It's called Superminds, the, the surprising power of people and computers thinking together. Uh, thanks, Tom. I, I really enjoyed it. And to everyone else, I hope you're enjoying our book review series on the Small Business Edge podcast. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.